Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Dr. Aaron Rock has served as a pastor, professor, chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping others think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Hillman, and today we are going to talk about whether the Great Reset can cure cure global (laughs) challenges. Now, Aaron, there seems to be a lot of stress and anxiety from people that they're facing right now based on the use of the Emergencies Act here in Canada, the freezing of bank accounts, talk about digital IDs, and some of the events in Ottawa. So what's your pastoral counsel to these people? Well, I think my number one piece of advice to folks that are struggling emotionally with the issue is just just calm down. Uh, There's no need to be riddled by fear. Fear is not a a productive response to the circumstances. You should be proactively concerned about what we've seen in our culture, but Jesus Christ is still on his throne. And through the eyes of faith, we believe that to be true. And therefore it helps us to sort of take our eyes off the things of this world. You know, as the old hymn writer said, the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So I'm not talking about some sort of a a flight mindset or, put yourself in a position where you're denying the realities of your pain and suffering. But I'm actually pretty excited about what's going on because I see the big picture. I see what God is doing. I believe that our nation has to suffer more before people uh, wake up to the realities that are going on around us. And, you know, we're a nation that aborts our children and we're a nation that puts control over all of life into the hands of the state. So we, we deserve to take a little bit of a beating as a nation That means that, quote unquote, righteous people will also suffer. But I would just say for people that are out there that are God-fearing, fear God, do not fear man. Secondly, Mm -hmm. just make a decision. Are you going to be a collaborator with the state or an ambassador for Christ? You can't be both. We're ambassadors for Christ. We will relentlessly herald the absolute lordship of Jesus Christ over creation. I also want people just to be aware of what's going on. Like observe the patterns, the patterns that we've seen in our nation over the last week or so with regard to the enactment of the Emergencies Act are based upon the exact same principles that have governed the pandemic. The government has sought to strike fear into people in order to get them to comply. Uh, Trudeau passed in this Emergencies Act. Of course, it only lasted for 44 hours. And he's even being made fun of by the lefties. 22 Minutes did a little skit today making fun of him for that. But it was a frightening time for many people, that 44-hour period from Monday at about 8 p.m. till Wednesday at 4 when he announced that he was revoking it. It was a bit of a a terrifying time for many people. But again, we don't need to live in fear. We don't need to live in fear of viruses. We don't need to live in fear of emergencies, acts. We were principled people. We don't need to comply to every edict that the state throws our way. Uh, We don't need to deny reality. Um, People need to sometimes just get away from their television sets and their social media and get outside and realize the world is still here. You know, we're still breathing. We still have our families. We still have our churches. The good news, though, is that the EA has been canceled. I think there's some reasons for that. And the good news is is that the government has started to unfreeze bank accounts, probably in large part because people went and started withdrawing a lot of their money from the bank. That's Mm -hmm. that's my guess in that regard. So fear not. God is on the throne. God is at work. Look at it from the big picture. Don't be terrified in the moment. You know, it it will pass or you will pass, as we often say, (laughs) and just make sure that you're leveraging every opportunity, every trial, every tribulation, every moment of suffering that God has given to us for his honor and glory and for your own personal sanctification. Amazing. It's good pastoral counsel. So uh, to get into a little bit of the details of the Emergencies Act, why do you think it was canceled so fast? Well, clearly it was a political stunt from the beginning, completely unnecessary not based upon reality in any way, shape, or form. There was no emergency on the ground that regular police services could not handily have taken care of. That was proven when they sent in thousands and thousands of officers and machines and all that kind of stuff, and nobody even swung at a single officer. These peaceful protesters took the moral high ground. 
The worst that they were guilty of was some traffic infractions. But even then, they kept one lane open on every street. It was sort of scattered. Businesses could have been wide open, Chris. You know, you were there with me. There was absolutely no reason for all those businesses to close. There was no reason for people to freak out and start throwing around allegations of racism or terrorism. It was a giant party by people who have been thrown out of work and ostracized and discriminated against and segregated from the rest of society. So 100%, 100%, it was a political stunt. It was put in place for political reasons, not based upon any reality. Mm-hmm. And so we can aptly assume that it was canceled as a political stunt as well, not based upon reality, based upon politics. So behind the scenes, of course, we don't know what's going on in the mind of the the uh, prime minister and his, his cabinet. But I mean, they probably did some polls and found out that they weren't polling very well. They probably caught wind of Russia's imminent invasion of Ukraine, which happened today or maybe yesterday night, our time. And if Trudeau is going to speak out against tyranny like that, obviously it's a little difficult to do when you're essentially wielding martial law over a portion of a province. I think a big deal too is the Senate wasn't buying it. It was Hmm. dragged on. I thought it was going to pass on Tuesday, but it dragged on in the Senate, which sort of ratifies these kinds of acts. Then we get into Wednesday. They still hadn't ratified. It was a lot of questions being answered or asked that weren't being answered. But I do think Trudeau was testing the waters to see how much power he has. Hmm. And uh, the NDP, of course, were made to look like fools because they agreed to it. And (laughs) I think in many respects, they just sort of threw Trudeau sort of threw him under the bus because they doubt they were part of the process and revoking it. But um, one of the one of my concerns long term is that now that Trudeau is sort of um, uh, in with FinTrack and he, I, I would say, almost has it in his pocket. And Freeland, his deputy, said that they were going to try to hold on to some of the powers that the act afforded them in terms of controlling funds that may be given to causes that politically they don't find helpful to their cause. I am concerned about that. But mm-hmm. that's that's my thinking on it. Senate pushback, probably some polling, Russia's imminent invasion, testing the waters, and the fact that it just didn't politically seem to be um, well accepted by a cross-section mm-hmm. of Canadians. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the questions that has been rattling around in my mind, I know we've talked about it a bit, we're having spent time on the ground in Ottawa. We know that what has happened in Ottawa was, was really spun by some into something else by the prime minister, by the media. And so what, what I struggle sometimes is why don't people see that deception or spin and the direction that this is all going in. Yeah. And the same thing happened in, in Windsor, which was a little different because more people freaked out about that because they were blocking the bridge. But my response to that is, okay, let's say if the government said 10% of the population can no longer buy groceries, you're not allowed in the grocery store. And this 10% of the people start to starve. So they show up at the grocery store and they say, okay, well, if we're not allowed in, you're not allowed in. And everyone's like, oh, I can't believe the 10% that they would rob us of the opportunity to enter the grocery store when well, I know they don't have the opportunity to enter the grocery store, but we should have the right to offer, you know, enter the grocery store. Mm -hmm. This is why I was pretty disgusted with the way that the media and even some lawyers and church people framed up the Ambassador Bridge protest. That was a symbolic protest for people who are not allowed to cross that bridge. Mm -hmm. And it's wrong that they've been locked in their own country and disallowed from working. That was a symbolic protest it, they cracked the whip on that one pretty quick because of the economic impact. But it's the majority not not understanding the, the innate segregation and discrimination that they've levied against the minority. So with regard to the Ottawa thing and, and a lot of this stuff that's been taking place in culture, the tyranny and whatnot, I would say, first of all, Chris, that there, there are many, many people that are actually supportive of these movements, but I would call them silent cheerleaders. There's many, many people out there that agree with the protests, agree with the pushback. They want the mandates lifted. But what I would say to those that might be listening that are silent protesters is silence is actually part of the problem. We've seen this even in our own church where people may applaud my efforts or the efforts of some of our bold public 
speakers. You know, they, they're like, yeah, way to go guys. I'm glad you're at the protest. You're writing the letters, you're getting fined, you're getting ticketed, but they're just sitting in the comfort of their own home and, uh, complying, going along with everything. And this is not helpful, but I would say there's a, there's a larger number of people that actually agree with what I would call our position than, than not. And we're starting to see them rise up. So I'm glad there are more cheerleaders, but we need vocal cheerleaders, not silent cheerleaders. Cheerleaders cheer. Yeah, <laughs> they, don't, yeah. they don't stand on the sidelines and say nothing. So yeah. if you're going to be a cheerleader, you have to be vocal. Yep. Um, I also think there's a, a, a number of people that simply aren't listening to what's going on. So someone sent me an article. I just skimmed it real brief. It was written by a pastor in Ontario that basically said, you know, I, I empathize with everything that's going on in Ottawa. I get it. It's really bad. But I just want to kind of remind people that, you know, f trying to get your freedoms back isn't really a Christian thing. It's not really, um, you know, important. It's almost like kind of selfish. It's kind of selfish to want your freedoms back. And when I read stuff like that, I'm thinking, uh, you're clearly not listening to our arguments or the arguments of, um, you know, the, the folks that are sort of on the front lines fighting these battles, none of us, none of us are arguing that we should get our, we should get our freedoms back for hedonistic purposes. Of course, there's unbelievers that just want their freedom back because they want to go on vacations, mm -hmm. but it needs to be understood. We're not fighting for freedom so that we can just kind of get on with our lives. We're fighting for freedom because free these freedoms that we're fighting for are actually ordained by and authorized by and granted to us by God, mm -hmm. period. The freedom to work, the freedom to worship, the freedom to speak your mind. These are things that we have the the innate inherent rights, inherited rights to be able to do. Mm -hmm. And we're opposed to the to any state that effectually takes on the role of God by saying they have the right to give and take these things. This is the problem with our charter. Oh, if it's demonstrably justified, we can suspend your charter rights. <clears throat> well, the Bill of Rights was better because it didn't allow for that. The U.S. Constitution, as I understand it, doesn't allow for that. Innate rights are innate rights. Mm -hmm. The right to life, it's innate. The right to worship, it's innate. Those aren't rights granted by the state. So we're fighting against these statist attempts to um, suspend things that they have no authority under God mm -hmm. to suspend. Yeah. One tack on thought there. Do you think it it matters that a lot of Christians maybe think of sin only in terms of sins of like commission, it's active sins, and they're not realizing, okay, if the state restricts your freedoms, you now become guilty of sins of omission, where you're not doing the good that you know you should do. So in other words, you know, working. Yeah, or, I, think, I think that's a worthy thought. It's probably part of part of the equation that, um, you know, we need to, to be thinking through. So what the state doesn't, I don't, I don't want to say grant because the state doesn't grant these things. But for the sake of our conversation, what the state doesn't grant to us, i.e. or support, i.e. fundamental freedoms, what what the world would typically call human rights, but they're not all necessarily, we have to be careful with that term too, because it, be, it can be secularized, but these innate foundational rights, let's just take, for example, the, 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 the obligation, mm -hmm. the right to worship our God. Mm -hmm. Why would any Christian feel comfortable with the state telling us when we can and cannot worship? Mm -hmm. And especially when you've seen all the hypocrisy, <laughs> yeah. even if you're a pragmatist, if you've seen on principle, I would defend the right of the church to gather to worship, even if all of us were in the process of dying of whatever leprosy or something. Yep. Well, maybe not because that's a contagious disease and we do believe in quarantine laws for that. But I would defend the rights of the Christian people to continue to meet for worship even if the circumstances around them are very dire mm -hmm. and it's very unwise to ever permit the state to have that kind of authority. Mm -hmm. the, the other thing that some people are talking about is, oh, you're disturbing this, this article also mentioned disturbing 
Ottawa residents, I'm just like, please stop. You're embarrassing yourself. You clearly haven't been down there. You don't actually know what the messaging is. You don't understand the circumstances. You don't even understand clearly what Ottawa is. It's our city. Okay. It's our city. If you choose as a resident to live in the downtown core of the capital of Canada mm-hmm. within two blocks of the front lawn of parliament that belongs to the entire country and people are protesting there and you're ticked off by the noise, move out further into the suburbs. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is an absurd argument. These people are, have been forced out of the social structures of society. We have pastors saying, well, you should be more sensitive to the noise violations. Like, it, it really is quite disturbing. Mm-hmm. I would say a third thing, Chris, is that people have a punctilier rather than a linear view of history. And what I mean by that is people are just living in the moment. Yep. They're not thinking about the past. They're not thinking about the future much. Um, all that matters is the is now. Many folks don't seem to have any understanding of history and the fact that the precedents that are being set today will be used against people or for people in the future. Mm-hmm. The precedents of the past are being used against us or in our favor today. They don't seem to have an understanding of human nature. I mean, think about this. You literally have people who on Remembrance Day in November in our country use the term lest we forget, mm-hmm. but then they've clearly forgotten. They don't understand history. They don't understand they have a punctiliary view. It's just all about today. My, my, my joys, my opportunities right now, these truckers are kind of irritating. You know, they're honking the horn late in, late into the night, even though they would end by eight or nine, they're honking the horns. They're clogging up our streets and on and on and on. They don't think about the big picture. These are people that are fighting without guns for the same freedoms that people actually laid down their lives for in world war two and in world war one and in other global conflicts. Mm-hmm. The next thought that comes to my mind is is probably going to be a little bit offensive, but I think that we're dealing with a stupidity issue. In Romans 1, when God lists out the depravity of mankind, the sins that people tend to fall into when they deny the true and living God, talks about futile thinking. Sin actually erodes the mind. A godless worldview actually erodes the mind. You actually become less intelligent. You actually have a stunted capacity to make connections. You actually have a stunted capacity to perceive reality. And this is why you have spin, you have misrepresentation. You know, it's it's interesting that, um, you know, we live in a point in time when you can have people literally on the streets with their cameras on live, let's say Facebook Live, showing the barbecues, showing the bouncy castles, showing the uh, peaceful protesters, literally you get hundreds and hundreds of these Mm -hmm. all over social media. And when the news guy comes on and he says, Oh, they're, they're terrorists. They, you know, there's, there's mass, there's math, mass deaths resulting from the coronavirus, et cetera. And you're comparing what, what is, reality, you're comparing reality to what the media is saying and they don't jive and people still believe it. This is stupidity. It's the same with this whole pandemic thing. I have yet to see a pandemic. It's like, what is a pandemic? A pandemic is by definition, mass deaths. How many people do I know that have died of COVID or with COVID? A couple out of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that I know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been compared to the Spanish flu. I mean, what, what an exaggeration. We have yet to see mass casualties. COVID has been almost exclusively uh, a, a challenge for the elderly, the immunocompromised, diabetics, people that are overweight. Very, very, very few people, if any, who are healthy have died of COVID. And yet we still have pastors with their churches locked shut who've never lost one single person to COVID or who are in an age category where the chances of them dying of COVID are slim to none, but they're still, their their whole reality is is shaped by what they've heard in the media. It's not by objective, um, firsthand observation. Mm-hmm. It's actually bearing false witness in many respects. Uh, it's, it's lies. It's lies about reality. Mm-hmm. 
I also think there's a spiritual delusion that, that's taking place. When godless people harden their heart, God also doubly hardens their heart. We see that in Pharaoh, the episodes mm -hmm. of Moses dialoguing right. with Pharaoh, where if you go back and forth in Exodus, it's like Pharaoh hardened his heart. God, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Uh, in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 11 to 12, it talks about the man of lawlessness. And there's debate about whether that's a futuristic antichrist or not, but it says, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. When a nation has pleasure in unrighteousness and denies the truth fundamentally of God, of Christ, of the word of God, of his plan, of his purposes, of his promises, we become delusional thinkers. And frankly, Canada as a whole is a stupid, stupid, stupid nation, mm -hmm. as are all nations that are godless. The, we think we're, here's the thing, we think we're so smart because we wear our suits and we have our degrees and we have our crisp, clean little offices and we have all our media and all our graphics to go along with it. And we have mass communication and we have all these institutions that we've built. And we think, well, we're not like those, you know, dummies from the past, you know, from the medieval era, you know, in, in castles, wringing their hands, uh, trying to figure out how to uh, subject their people to tyranny. We would never do that. You know, we're not like those guys chewing on the back leg of a lamb um, that's been roasted over a fire, you know, with uh, grease on our beards and scruffy clothing. We're, we're a sophisticated culture. We, we're, we've, we're an enlightened culture. No, we're a stupid culture. We're a stupid culture. And uh, when we reject the things of God, our capacity to comprehend reality is stunted. Our capacity to comprehend reality is stunted. We see things through a sinful lens and it's polluted with all these isms, right? Hedonism and materialism and idolatry and so forth. So the, the, the conspiracies that people often peddle in culture are, are often – some of them are right, some of them are wrong, but people people like trying to figure out like what what's actually going on behind the scenes or these are there, are there these backyard deals taking place where you know people are trying to ruin the world. Well, some of that's taking place, but not all of it. But fundamentally, this is a spiritual battle. And when Christ is removed from his throne in people's minds and in the in the mind in the collective mind of a nation like Canada. You, you expect this kind of stuff. This is why, and I know people might not like this, but this is why I was kind of hoping that the Emergencies Act would pass and stick because it's clearly not evident to many people how tyrannical a nation can be when they reject God. And I think we need more tyranny. I hate to say it because I don't want it. Humanly, I don't want it, but I think we need more tyranny. We need more, the, the mass needs to be ripped off. We need more exposure to evil before people, especially people in the church will wake up and say, "Uh Oh, this is wrong. Mm -hmm. So th those are some thoughts that come to my mind as, as to why people continue to deny, you know, put spin on it and, and, just don't seem to be willing to acknowledge that something very bad is happening in, in, in the Western world. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to chat a little bit about that comment you made earlier about people's misunderstanding freedom. Uh, and so maybe you can just chat again briefly and explain why we fight for freedom, why we are, are, are we selfish for doing so, et cetera. Christian people have historically had a big problem with the kind of freedom that the godless speak of because nor normally in Canadian culture, like prior to the last two years, we would hear people talking a lot about freedom. I want freedom. I want liberty to do what? Mm -hmm. To sleep with whomever I want, to abort my children at will, mm -hmm. to say what I want, blaspheme, to, to kind of just live my life however I want. We're like, no, no, no. We don't quite buy into that. We want freedom. Freedom, though, I mean, the Bible speaks of freedom on disputable issues, freedom of conscience, Romans 14, um, the whole media offered into idols debate in 1 Corinthians. Um, there's this whole theology of freedom that is discussed in the New Testament 
we do have we do have certain freedoms, but the freedoms that we fight for are always they're always constrained within the boundaries. Picture a picture a field. You can run anywhere you want in the field, but there's a big wall around it. God's mm-hmm. built that wall, and that represents the the moral laws of God, the statutory laws of God that hem in human behavior. You have a lot of freedom to make decisions and choices as a believer, but there's a limit to it. And when you cross those lines, there's consequences. You dishonor God and you're, you know, you're guilty of, of sin. So again, we're not talking about freedom just for selfish reasons or for selfish reasons, period. We're talking about freedom under God. So when we fight, for example, for freedom of movement or freedom to be able to go to work and work six days and rest in the seventh, it's because God's told us to do that. Mm-hmm. When we fight for freedom to worship, it's because God's told us to do that. And we also fight, we don't, we don't necessarily even fight believing or assuming that we're going to win it in our lifetime. We fight for future generations. That's key, yep. So that's, that's not selfish selfish at all it's we're fighting for a future generation so mm-hmm. that is critical the world wants unrestrained freedom we want freedom under god this is why the world opposes the freedom that we're fighting for because they want freedom that's been affirmed by the state because the state ultimately affords them the right to be materialistic hedonistic atheistic godless in their choices we're fighting for freedom under god so this mm-hmm. really is increasingly even in culture being seen as a religious battle. This is why you have various um, uh, groups targeting men like me mm-hmm. as you know, religious right wing extremists. Well, if fighting for fundamental freedoms makes me a religious right wing extremist, then I'll happily wear that title. If it makes me a, a, a national, first of all, I am a nationalist. I'm a Christian and I'm a nationalist, meaning I'm not a non-Christian and I'm not a globalist. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not a neo, um, you know, I don't believe in neo-Babelism as I would call it, the Tower of Babel, this mm-hmm. n- notion that if we can all kind of get together, that's the future. No, I believe that God has created boundaries for nations as an, as a, as an um, accommodation to human sinfulness. And we actually do better separated by mm-hmm. boundaries. I mean, we want to be aware of the global world within which we live, global communities, we'd call it. But I am a nationalist in that I believe there should be boundaries to nations. Those nations should be defend, defensible. And I, I'm not saying that from a modern political perspective. I'm saying it because when humanity tried to build the Tower of Babel, and all come together and collectively usurp the authority of God, nothing good came from that. So God divided up as an accommodation to evil. It's not going to yep. be like this in the eternal kingdom. Right. There's not going to be boundaries there. But as an accommodation to human sinfulness, he put boundaries in place over the tribes and nations and the language groups of, of the earth. Mm-hmm. I think just to one add one thought, I know you've talked about being an incrementalist and that really helps with this idea of freedom as well, because some people will think they're like an all or nothing approach. Right. So they're like, we can't, we can't win this battle. So why even put up a resistance? Oh, right? we'll win it. There's no question about it. We'll win it. And uh, first of all, we'll win it in the eternal kingdom. Mm-hmm. If, uh, you know, if Christ comes back uh, soon and, we don't necessarily need to win it in our lifetime and we don't necessarily even need to win it this side of heaven, but we'll win it. But if you have a longer view of history, uh, I'm so convinced that what's taking place in our world is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. It's not functional that even if it takes root deeply for a hundred or 200 or 500 years, it eventually will fizzle out because Anything outside of God's laws and God's word and God's principles are unworkable. They mm-hmm. don't work, right? Like fornication doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, the redefining marriage doesn't work. Redefining nation states doesn't work. Globalism doesn't work. Anything outside of the boundaries of God's word, God's principles, God's patterns, God's laws mm-hmm. never works. Sometimes people have to suffer in their stupidity. You know, this this nation might disappear and be Part, become part of some global village, some Borgish, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, mm-hmm. macro nation or something. 
Don't give title ideas. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I'm just kind of making things up here as I go in terms of just trying to describe this Mm -hmm. concept, but I don't even, I don't know how long Canada as a nation is going to, to last. I have no idea. Um, But Mm -hmm. I know that tyranny and globalism and statism, these kinds of things, they they just don't work. Mm -hmm. So eventually people will, will need to wake up to that. And in the meanwhile, suffer if they don't try to, kill it in the cradle, so to speak, mm-hmm. which probably isn't the greatest analogy. Yeah, maybe not. Anyway. Maybe not. Obviously <laughs> so, kill it in the cocoon. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah, so. um, okay. We're going to shift gears here a little bit and talk about, well, I don't know if it's totally shifting gears, but talk about the great reset of the world economic forum. Lots of people have been talking about those in the past and sure. some of the maybe got labeled conspiracy theories. Uh, but can you tell us what they are, how they're tied to what's going on? Yeah, so I'm I'm going to avoid all conspiracies, meaning anything that's unsubstantiated or unproven. That doesn't mean that all conspiracies are false. They may reveal themselves to be true, but I, you know, I deal in the realm of facts. I don't deal in the realm of conjecture. But what I do do is when I when I read things or hear things said, I filter it through the grid of scripture. So first of all, the World Economic Forum is a kind of a think tank that uh, was started in 1971. It's um, stationed in Davos, Switzerland, Mm -hmm. and it's run by the founder, a man who's in his 80s now. He's an economist and a professor of um, economics called Klaus Schwab. And they've had these annual conferences. Uh, There's generally an annual conference of – Plutocrats, super rich people, uh, corporate executives, corporations, and politicians, and they come together and what they try to do is fix the world's problems. So there's problems in the world that they identify. Mm-hmm. There's food shortages. And I mean, they would freely admit that there's not technically food shortages, there's few food distribution issues. There's enough food to feed people, but there's some distribution issues. They're concerned about climate change. They're concerned about global pandemics. So there's about a thousand companies that are part of this forum and all kinds of politicians. The deputy prime minister of Canada is on their board of trustees. I think there's like 30 some odd people that are on that board. So she's on that, Krista Freeland. Um, and, 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 and normal, normally how we think about governance is that you have democratically elected governments that are elected every, let's say four years or three years or five years, depending on the jurisdiction. These elected governments, uh, they oversee and put boundaries on big tech, big pharma, the big corporations, and the, the citizenry, including the corporations in a culture, are subservient to a democratically elected government, right? So that's normally how mm-hmm. we think about it. Uh, but Schwab promotes what he calls stakeholder capitalism. So normally corporations function under a model called shareholder capitalism. So a shareholder, like the investors, the people that own the companies, the corporation is tasked with making money for the shareholders, for the individual investors in a corporation. But what Schwab believes is that most of the world's problems are a result of that, that Big corporations, the bottom line for them is money. This is called shareholder capitalism. The bottom line is money. So they don't see the big picture. They don't, they're just concerned about money. So they don't care about climate change. Mm. They're just concerned about money. So they don't care about pandemics. They're just concerned about money. So they don't care about food shortages. So his, his big thing is that we need to shift gears instead of thinking of corporations as serving the shareholders they need to serve the stakeholders. So basically big corporations, so stakeholders, by the way, include the planet as a living organism, societies, employees of corporations, governments, everything that kind of makes up society has a stake in the health and well-being of planet Earth. So instead of a quote unquote selfish approach where corporations focus on making money for shareholders, we need to shift, he says, into a new paradigm of stakeholder capitalism. 
And in his model, what Schwab does is he sees big corporations as becoming custodians of society. So they engage in public dialogue and discourse with uh, the private sector, with the public sector. They work um, cooperatively with the planet, the societal structures, the employees, the employers, and what and governments. But the key thing here is that in a stakeholder model, the government of a of a nation, for instance, let's say the government of Canada or the U.S., takes a back seat to the big corporations, which are stakeholders trying to reshape and fix the problems of our society. So corporations sort of commit themselves in this way of thinking to becoming less interested in profit and more interested in blessing the world. Mm. Right. Yeah. The question right there is, do you actually believe they're going to do that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it mm. assumes, by the way, it assumes benevolence. It assumes that corporations and people are actually motivated to steward the planet to act morally, to act benevolently, it 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 is implicitly a denial of the doctrine of total depravity, mm-hmm. which you know reminds us that even the good things we do are bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, first of all, let me just say this in in response to this. Obviously, capitalism can be abused. Of course, it can be. Mm-hmm. Obviously, corporations who are making money for shareholders they can be abu- they can abuse the system. They can um, promote laws, lobby for people to be voted into office that only serve them and destroy the average man or plunge nations into poverty. So what, I, what we need to be careful about as Christians is not just to say, you know, well, shareholder capitalism is, is pure and righteous and Christian. Mm-hmm. No, but what we would say is from a Christian perspective, whatever whenever there's a business, whenever there's an individual, a business, a state, a corporation making decisions, if they actually committed themselves to God's laws, God's word, God's principles, that would fix abuse. Mm -hmm. So when Christ is Lord of the corporation, he's Lord of the state, he's Lord of the family, he's Lord of the employee, the employer, he's Lord of all of life, then you, you actually would uh, see blessing and benefit even in the tangible world. So we need to be ethical in our business practices. It doesn't fix everything because there's always going to be unethical people. But moving moving from shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism sounds really wonderful and sort of utopian. 100% it won't work. Now, the WEF, if you read their literature and listen to Schwab speak, they assume and they actually call for moral and intellectual integrity. So like the way this this is going to work if everyone commits themselves to moral and intellectual integrity. Well, then it begs the question, who decides what's moral and what's immoral? Mm-hmm. What's the basis of that? Mm-hmm. Apart from God, you don't even have a basis. And actually, if you don't have God, you don't have intellectual integrity. Mm-hmm. Because to my point earlier, the mind is um, disintegrates or is affected. We become futile in our thinking when we reject God's words. So you, you neither, you cannot actually have moral and intellectual integrity apart from the God who is the source of those things, mm-hmm. period. You just can't do it. So the, the stakeholder theory also uh, proposes that organizations should be accountable to society. And right there, we have a major red flag because like, yeah, no, people should always be accountable to God. God is our ultimate accountability not society. Otherwise, you just have a pooling of ignorance, a pooling of sinfulness, a pooling of of um, heart issues, a pooling of corrupt motives, mm-hmm. of a, a pooling of ignorance because we have inadequate information apart from God. So that's kind of the basic theory behind it. We have Schwab's been promoting this for fifty years. Um. By the way, there's some nepotism. So this board that I, I, I skimmed through their bylaws and uh, he he's like the, the head honcho. But if, mm-hmm. if he's not able to be um, part of the decision making, then one of his immediate family members <laughs> uh, 
uh, is appointed to that temporarily. So they can't make decisions without Schwab or a Schwabian. Yeah. So there's some nepotism there too. Yeah. And he makes good money off this. So this is what's interesting, Chris. Schwab has claimed, this is public record. This isn't conspiracy. Mm -hmm. The video is readily available on YouTube. He claims to have trained up to half of the Liberal Party members in Trudeau's caucus and Trudeau himself. He speaks very highly of our prime minister as kind of like his protege. This mm -hmm. is, again, this is not conspiratorial. This is not some obscure mm -hmm. blog that I'm reading in the dark web. Yeah. <laughs> this is right out there for everybody to see. Uh, again, a member of his immediate family, uh, him or a member of his immediate family have to be an ex officio board member. So there's some nepotism there. He see, he would see governments as being incompetent and unable to fix the problems, but the world economic forum can somehow jump in like Superman and fix it all. Mm -hmm. He sees, um, uh, the current systems that people use to build wealth is problematic. And indeed many of them are, mm -hmm. but he, he's very, he very much of a globalist. I would, I would call this neo Babelism, not Babylonianism, but yeah. again, yeah. it's a Babel. new fangled, uh, newly minted spruced up shiny version, shinier version of the tower of Babel where in his mind, if, if, nationalism is kind of a bad thing. So individual states don't seem to be able to get their act together. They're all working against each other and for their own interests. So the solution is to create this utopian, this neo-pagan utopian state, which assumes a measure of goodwill among all the participants that are all going to work together to fix climate emergencies, to fix food shortages, to fix economic issues, to fix the inequitable uh, distribution of wealth. And it really is a, a neo-utopian dream. There's no God at the helm. Mm -hmm. It's just people who are corrupt, just people who are mm -hmm. corrupt, even well-intentioned people are corrupt. So he he's a globalist or what's called a transnationalist. He would ultimately oppose, you know, borders and fences and, um, nationalistic sentiment, he would like not necessarily literally oppose them being drawn on a map, but oppose them as being um, kind of contrary to this globalistic utopian dream that he has to reconfigure the economy using influential corporations to move from a shareholder uh, capitalist mindset to a stakeholder capitalist mindset and to, to put democratically elected governments in the backseat of the car, not to necessarily get rid of them, but to put them in the backseat of the car. So they're not really determining the direction of a nation. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you've used the word like uh, shareholder and stakeholder capitalism. And that just springs to my mind because I see a lot of people that are very warned, worried about communism taking over Canada. So just for our listeners who might not be able to differentiate all these terms, what would be, in your mind, the difference between a stakeholder capitalism and communism that people are worried about? And is that a real worry? Well, there's there's overlap. I mean, people just use the word communism because they see in the globalistic agenda some some vestiges of communism. Communism was a little bit more simple in many respects. Basically, it's everybody's equal. Everybody shares property. Everybody shares wealth. Um Everybody is just, you, you take all hierarchies and you flatten them out. So everybody's even Steven on every level, but even within that system, you have to have party leaders. So what the problem with communism, oh, there's many problems with communism, but on a very practical level, the leaders of the communist party were so hell bent on enforcing their communistic agenda that they became overlords over the people and, and just destroyed economies. Right completely rob people of any motivation to work, you know, mm -hmm. motivate One of the benefits of capitalism is that, and I don't want to equate it directly to God's law, but the capitalism, it motivates people. It mm -hmm. says, okay, we're going to, we're going to remove the hindrances and we're going to let you go to work, mm -hmm. go to work. And if you work a lot and you work smart, you're going to make money. So there's a motivation to that. There's no motivated motivation in, in capitalism, mm -hmm. but um, uh, sorry, there's no motivation in communism. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of 
you know, in essence, communism was presented initially as very attractive, especially in Europe. It was very attractive because many of the nations of Europe still sort of had this overlord system where there were people in, in positions of power that were abusing and taking and mm-hmm. keeping people in, impoverished. So instead of having the elites sort of running culture and everyone else being under them, communism said, no, we're going to kind of create this idyllic um, utopian um, world where everyone's equal. But as I've argued time and time again, every nation and every structure is a theocracy. Someone Mm -hmm. has to play the role of quote unquote God. Mm -hmm. You can call it your board of trustees. You can call it God, right? (laughs) whatever you call it. Someone ultimately has to be in charge. That's just the reality of life and planet earth. And this, this globalistic mindset, this great world economic forum mindset, if they said, look, we want to fix the problems of our world. And all of it is going to presuppose that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And any decisions that we make, any structural decisions or ethical decisions that we make must be subservient to Christ and his rightful rule. That would be wonderful. Mm-hmm. But that's not mm-hmm. the notion. Again, it's it's the same fundamental flaw as communism in that it assumes people are good. Uh, we can sort of bring heaven to earth by our own uh, efforts. The Lord's prayer, we talked about the kingdom of God. May your kingdom come, mm-hmm. may your will be done on earth. This is may our kingdom be acknowledged, may our will be done on earth. And if we can do it collectively, we're going to have a better world. That won't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I know we're going to get to some practical application in a moment, but first, can you outline what's the great reset? So the great reset is just basically an initiative Fundamentally, it's an initiative of the World Economic Forum. It's an initiative that, you know, Prince Charles has endorsed, for example. And again, it's just, it's the initiative. It's taking sort of the theory of the World Economic Forum and putting it into practice. So you'll you'll hear leaders of Western nations talking about, we need to reset things or we need to build back better. It's Mm -hmm. that same thing. It's an initiative Basically, they want global co- cooperation to to address climate change and pandemics and whatnot, and um, essentially replace nationhood with nationhood and and nationally elected democracies with sort of a a corporate global democracy that makes decisions for you. So it gives big tech, big pharma, big corps the control. This is where the the conspiracy sort of sneak in because big pharma is part of that, mm-hmm. right? So if you look at the World Economic Forum, you're going to see in those thousand companies that are part of that, Coca-Cola, Pfizer, Shell, Facebook, Amazon, the Royal Bank, you're going to see all these influential businesses as partners. The Bill Gates Foundation is mm-hmm. part of that. So it it is kind of it is kind of like a new world order where um individual ownership is hypothetically threatened and the, the corporate takeover of democratic governance governments take place with but, but again the elitists still remain at the top mm-hmm. it may not be one person it may not be stalin or Mussolini, mm-hmm. but it's Amazon and Coca-Cola and Pfizer and this collection of corporations that are assumed to be subservient to the, the moral and intellectual statements of integrity of the World Economic Forum will hold them to. And they're now just doing business. They're just selling Coke. They're just selling um, vaccines for the good of everybody. Mm-hmm. Again, it's fundamentally based upon the lie that human beings have the capacity apart from total surrender to Christ to do good mm-hmm. and to make decisions that are benevolent for the world. Mm-hmm. So it is it is Babel 2.0. It assumes a neutral view of human nature. It puts power in, in the hands of big corp and it reduces or minimizes the role of democratically elected government 
governments. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's, I think, a very helpful summary that uh, pulls it together. I know you did a lot of research to look into and understand those things. So that'll be helpful for our listeners. Now, the big question always with these kind of podcasts is what do we do with this? What do we do now? Well, yeah. So there's obviously a lot of complexity to what we discuss on these episodes. And therefore, if you're just looking for a simple three-step, here's what you do to fix it all. I don't have that for you because it is a complex, there's a complexities to how we Mm -hmm. respond to complexities, Mm -hmm. but some very practical things, people that are concerned about the rise of globalism, the uh, continued retention of powers that the, 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 the state has. So I was talking to a friend of mine in Romania just an hour or so ago. They're right up right next door to Ukraine Mm-hmm. And the Ukraine has been attacked by Russia. And he said, so after all these protests in Canada, all, all the mandates gone. I said, no, none of them are gone. So in, in Romania, they've all just been lifted. We're done. We've got other things to think about. we got refugees streaming across our border from Ukraine into Romania. We're not going to be dealing with uh, COVID's done essentially in Romania. Mm-hmm. But what, what's happened in Canada is we had all these protests to end the mandates and because people have been very concerned about the mandates, but then what Trudeau did is he threw the emergency act out. So now all of a sudden that's like a distraction. That's like, whoa, the man, the emergency act, people are trying to mm-hmm. get out of the country as quickly as they can. And then 44 hours later, he says, okay, I'm going to end it. And everyone's like, oh, whew, back to normal. No, we're not back to normal. Right. We still have all the mandates in place. <laughs> None yeah. of them have been lifted. The province of Ontario and other provinces are talking about lifting them, but we have yet to see that yet. So when you look at all this stuff, some very, very practical stuff. People need to rethink their connectedness to all of the structures that have threatened them. So we need people to run for office, good people to run for office, provincially, municipally, federally. That's not going to happen tomorrow, but that is part of long-term change. We need people to rethink how they bank. If you've got all your money, all your savings stuffed away in a savings account at a bank that has seen fit to just freeze your money, you might want to rethink that. You might want to go with some hard assets. You might want to purchase land in another country. You might want to buy gold or silver and store it in the Cayman Islands. You might want to do some of that stuff to protect your assets. I think increasingly Christians are realizing that we need to rethink employment. We almost need to create within this. If we're shooed out of the macro economy, we need to create micro economies. Meaning that if there's one business that's interconnected with 10 other businesses, um, maybe we need to create 10 new businesses that are all interconnected to one another and support each other mm-hmm. and, and function under the Lordship of Christ and with similar values. So who do you purchase? Let's just say you have a business that, manufacture something. Well, who do you get your shipping materials from? Who do you, uh, where do you find your potential employees? Who do you ship your product to? Who do you use for your, your banking? I don't know what laws behind this, but it might be good for some righteous people to look into the formation of new, new banks or new banking systems to start being more entrepreneurial. People need to think about their geography said it before, I'll say it again. If you're living in an area where you're the only person that gets this stuff and there's no church nearby and your neighbors don't seem to get it, well, not everybody can run to another country, right? So it might be good for you to move, be proactive and move to an area where there's a stronger Christian presence, a stronger resistance movement. People, obviously, a lot of people are looking to the states as a place to go to. Uh, there's, there is some dialogue going on with some U.S. senators I, I understand that I'm, I'm still, I still have a little bit of a check in my spirit. The U S is without question, a little freer and there's more liberties there, but the reality is very few people can actually cross the border unless they have some sort of professional recognition. Mm -hmm. But, um, I guess as I look at the big picture, I'm like, okay, so you're going to flee from a nation that kills its children to a nation that kills its children. Well, (laughs) how long is it going to be before the judgment of God is poured out upon that nation to the degree that it's poured out on this nation, right? These are things for us to to consider. Mm-hmm. 
making sure we're supporting churches that are robustly upholding the absolute lordship of Christ over creation and culture without excuse, right? Without excuse. Mm -hmm. And then, and, and, and by the way, um, you know, there's a lot of discussions in, um, in these kind of movements, about your eschatological system. So we're like, Oh, the post-millennialists, they have this optimistic view The the pre-millennialists, they have this pessimistic view. A lot of people think I'm a post-millennialist. I'm not a post-millennialist. I'm a pre-millennialist. First time I've ever said it on this show, because what I don't, don't want to do is I don't want to divide people, but I actually have more of a pessimistic view of how this is going to end. Mm -hmm. But on principle, I still fight like a post-millennialist fights. Mm -hmm. I fight for the absolute lordship of Christ over creation and culture. And I think that while, while your eschatological viewpoint affects how you process some of this stuff, on principle, it really shouldn't. Is Christ your Lord or isn't he? Mm -hmm. Whether you're post or, or pre, if you believe that Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, if you've actually read Colossians 1 and you believe that to be true, and you also believe that he's a benevolent God and he's a benevolent King, why wouldn't you promote his Lordship over all things in the here and now? Mm -hmm. What are you doing praying the Lord's Prayer if you don't actually want kingdom values and principles to be manifested in a greater way in this world. I'll also say to those that have, whether you have a, a, a pessimistic or an optimistic view of the future, history goes in cycles. And sometimes we focus too much upon what are the, the final, final, final events before the end of all things? Mm -hmm. Like what's the last lap going to look like? Mm -hmm. And, you know, is it, is, am I going to do a face plant in the last lap or am I going to, you know, run, break through the, uh, the, um, the band. I don't mm -hmm. know what they call that in running, but break yeah. through the band in the last lap. Like, is it going to end, end in victory in this world or in defeat in this world? We know there's going to be victory ultimately. Well, okay. You can think about that, but what if we find out there's 10 more laps to go? Yeah. There's 10 centuries ahead of us. There's 10 decades ahead of us. There's 10 years ahead of us. People are all worried about the last lap. What about the here and now? We could see, cycles of, we could see 10 more cycles of victory before Jesus Christ returns. Let's not be, let's not be so foolish as to assume that Jesus is coming back in our lifetimes. We should be prepared for that, but we ultimately don't know. Mm -hmm. So we're going to press for revival in a nation until the end of the end of the end, mm -hmm. okay, of all things. And we work together on this. You know, we, we're not schismatic. We work together with people of different eschatological persuasions who over and above their eschatological timeline affirm the absolute lordship and supremacy of Jesus Christ over creation and culture, mm. period. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's really, really important. So um, long-term, you know, these are some short-term things. So rethink your banking, rethink your jobs, consider where you're living. Obviously, you know, protests are good, trucker convoys are good, but the true solution is to continue to preach the full gospel of Jesus mm -hmm. Christ over over creation and over culture. By the way, I just wanted to say, I got this interesting email from Gab, Gab Social, like okay, the Gab yeah. Social yep. Media, and um, they were talking about how they, evidently, this is kind of like a, I didn't know this, but Andrew Torba, actually signed off this email, um, Jesus Christ is King of Kings in this um, Gab release. And he was basically talking about how his social media platform, they try to like push him off the servers and push him out of culture. So he's creating something called the Parallel Economy Fund. He wants to have his own servers and kind of have mm -hmm. his own system so he's not subservient. Mm -hmm to the system that let's say Twitter or yep. Getter might be associated with. And I thought that's, that's an interesting principle that um, as, as Christians, we do need to create these uh, kind of like a parallel economy. But what I'm not talking about is I'm not talking about ex, like stepping away from culture. I'm not talking about, see the, the Amish or some Mennonite groups would say the solution is, to flee into the wilderness and form a colony and be completely disconnected from, mm -hmm. from culture. I don't think that's what Christ has called us to. I find that's difficult to reconcile with the great commission mm -hmm. where we're supposed to go into the world, not flee from it. But within the world, we can create institutions and systems 
that allow us to survive and sustain our families and worship that also have an influence on culture. So we become institution builders into culture. We create systems and structures that allow for sustainable church life, financial life. We consider the you know, geographical concerns, like what are the areas where we can form beachheads to uh, reshape culture? Uh, we need to concern ourselves with rebuilding educational institutions and these sorts of things. So that's like big picture. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I'm an organized enough guy that I'd love to spend, you know, a year fleshing out every one of those. But unfortunately, I can't do all that. And other people need to kind of take some of these seminal ideas that folks like myself are presenting and fle flesh them out and bring them to, to um, fuller measure. So we need people that are educators to be yep. starting educational right. institutions, people with financial know-how to maybe start a new banking system, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah. And I think, again, you've mentioned this before. It's not a five-year, it's a hundred-year battle, right? Thinking long-term, long changes. And so the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. I don't know. <laughs> Some, yeah, something, right. Yeah. Um, that's not mine. Everybody knows that. Okay. That no, no way. <laughs> okay. Some final thoughts before we uh, sign off here. Well, I, I guess I just want to sort of reemphasize this idea. Um, I put out a little quote on Twitter and, and um, I just want to reemphasize this issue about the world economic forum that replacing shareholder, capitalism with stakeholder capitalism as if that's somehow going to cure all the world's problems has at least four fundamental flaws to it. Number one, it falsely assumes the moral neutrality and benevolent spirit of mankind apart from spiritual regeneration, apart from conversion. We have to have a robust doctrine of total depravity. People are evil apart from regeneration we still can do evil even after we've been regenerated, but we have a new heart, a new spirit, we're new creatures in Christ. But the heart is deceitful above all things. And the World Economic Forum does not believe that and does not champion that. It secondly is dangerous because it proposes the superiority of globalism over nationalism, which is contrary to scripture. It's neo-babalism as opposed to biblical nationalism. It doesn't mean that nations need to be mean to other nations, but there are boundaries. And again, it's, and it's an accommodative thing. God accommodates human sinfulness and human ingenuity to try to usurp God by dividing us. There, there's a, there is a, it's necessary in a sinful world for there to be some division in order to restrain evil, mm -hmm. which is kind of a crazy thing to think about, but it's, it's true. It exchanges national democracies for unelected corporate democracies. And a fundamental notion that I want to kind of just end with is that globalism, World Economic Forum, Great Reset Economic Theory, champions a pagan utopianism as being superior, a superior realm to live within than the kingdom of God. And I'm sorry, but the kingdom of God is superior to all other mm -hmm. realms. When I say the kingdom of God, I'm fundamentally talking about an acknowledgement of Christ as Lord over, over your wallet, over your speech, over your family, over your marriage, over all the decisions that you make, uh, that you will never bring in, you will never bring heaven to earth. If I could use this language, you'll never bring heaven to earth in any way, shape or form, not even in part unless you're bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And I don't necessarily mean the fullness of the kingdom of God. Again, there's eschatological implications for how this all ends. How much of the kingdom will be displayed mm -hmm. this side of Christ's second coming? Great, great conversations to have, but it's not, I don't think it's actually fundamental to the issue. The issue is as principled people, we want to see the Lordship of Christ acknowledged over all of creation. And there has been little times in history where that's been more evident. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, people are blessed. And there's been times when it's been less evident. And when that happens, there's more curses. Nations that bow the knee, that surrender themselves to the Lord, experience revival, and there is blessing that flows out of that to the glory and honor of God.
So we have to keep that uh, as Christians, no matter your denominational stripe, your background. Do you or do you not believe that the Lordship of Christ is superior to all other rulers? And do you actually believe that it's part of your obligation, part of your desire to see God's kingdom come to this world as it is in heaven? Well said. Well, to our listeners, you can continue to send in questions to ask ASK at harvestwindsor.ca and we'd love to get those. We have actually quite a few questions piling up and so we might do a a single podcast. Today it was a long discussion so we couldn't cover them all, but please continue to send those in and we'll try to cover those off uh, very shortly. Just a reminder as well of where you can hear the podcast. You can hear this podcast hosted weekly on the CJXC radio. That's Canada's constant Christian companion at 11 a.m. on Tuesdays and then they do a rebroadcast of it at 11 p.m. on Thursdays. And you can also listen to this podcast. It's hosted by the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. And so if you download their app from the uh, the app store, you'll find the Fight, Laugh, Feast app. And then there's this podcast. There's some podcasts by friends of ours and a whole bunch of other podcasts that you can uh, tune into and just a really great resource there. Thank you, Aaron, for your time. Thank you for your research. And just a reminder to each one of you to like and share this podcast to get the word out. And hopefully then we will tune in next week. Oh, you got one more thing. I want, I want to say one more thing. I, you know, we should all be prepared for being canceled on social media. And several people have messaged me late and they're like, I hope you don't just have your podcast on Facebook or Twitter. I'm like, no, no, it's available elsewhere. So I want to encourage people. Look, uh, if I suddenly disappear and you benefit from some of these teachings, if I suddenly disappear from the platforms that you used to accessing me on and you can't find me, it's your fault. (laughs) (laughs) We are elsewhere. So we want to emphasize, download the Fight, Laugh, Feast app. We're there. This is an independent third-party app. Big tech can't shut it down. So you can find us there. And uh, also on our website at harvestwindsor.ca, we post them there. And also on my own blog, pursuitofglory.org. So I would just say, uh, don't rely upon one platform to find the kind of material that that you um, uh, are being blessed by. And I I assume you're being blessed by it. If you're listening to the sign-off, you must be listening to the whole episode. (laughs) So if if this has been a benefit to you, make sure that you, you you have different uh, options. We're, we're providing you with different options. Be aware of the different options that you have to access some of the material that we're discussing. And I would say that's the same with some of the other podcasts that we, you know, really benefit from, including the Ezra Institute and the Rebel Network and whatnot in, in our own country here. That's good. One day we might even bring back cassette tapes and CDs and A tracks, and you can you can access us for sure. They can't cancel that. <laughs> so, well, thanks for listening. Tune in again next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron Rock.